This episode is brought to you by Nourish by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish is a personalized vitamin regimen customized to you. Backed by 45 years of science, they remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. With thousands of happy customers, Nourish is a trusted supplement brand by many. Visit Nourish.com to create your customized package today. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Gegen Pressing Podcast. Yeah, that's right. I am hosting today. My name is Manuel Weff. Filling in for Bryce, who's um, busy getting engaged in Spain, I guess. So congrats to Bryce. Um, hope you know what you're getting into. Um, anyways, joining me as always, Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Um, something you, you and I don't really have to worry about anymore, eh? No, no. I've been married 17 years now. So, um, yeah, I'm probably looking at the other way of how to get out of it. I'm only joking. If obviously my wife's listening. Um, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Busy week. Um English week, wasn't it? And then it's just been such a strange week. There was one day of no football of Bundesliga 1, but there's Bundesliga 2 on. So we've had a really busy week. And then obviously we've got um, European fixtures coming this coming week. So yeah, we're, we're pretty busy gegen pressing at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, we are very busy. And, you know, we had to find someone to replace us, uh, <laughs> replace Bryce. And um, John, he was so good last week that we thought, oh, we might as well bring him on more regularly. John, how are you doing? You are not engaged, I assume? <laughs> I'm not engaged at present, no, but are you sure that my invite on has got nothing to do with the, the Gladbach result this week? Uh, we can talk about that in great detail soon actually we're going to talk about that first john thanks for reminding me (laughs) yes um we need to talk about Gladbach a little bit don't we um the result on the weekend and then the result on midweek um and then yeah the should we talk about what happened midweek first john you want to talk us through that at the gladbach result or do you want to go straight in and talk i can't remember it? what happened midweek it's so long ago now in football isn't it yeah so tuesday the and that's actually a, you did the preview for that for the stuttgart game and i thought that was actually an excellent game and uh, you were a little bit more pessimistic about the stuttgart gladbach result um and and gladbach smashed that one two zero and I, I thought Gladbach did well. Raphael had a really good game and um, you, you and I were chatting and you were a little bit concerned about his a little bit of a slower start. And, um, mm. you know, he, he does take a little bit longer, um, not only because he's also getting on an age. I think he's 33 now, but it's just, you know, traditionally he's always taking a few years and a few games until he's, um, you know, warming up into a season. So I thought he actually looked really good. And... Um, that was that was actually a good result for Gladbach, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. I think especially given that for a, for a period in the second half, um, Stuttgart looked quite good. Uh, Asasibar obviously is is a great player and was controlling the game for a period. He was picking the ball up deep and carrying it into quite da- dangerous areas before before laying it off. So I was a little bit uh, I was a little bit nervous until the the penalty went in that that it, the result maybe would have gone the other way. Mm, yeah, and then um, of course. Maybe before we talk about the, the big Saturday game, Chris, uh, Dortmund against HSV midweek. We expect that result, didn't we? 3 0. Um, not a huge surprise. I mean, we went into this game. I think I did the preview for this one. And I think I said 2 0, 3 0. Can't remember, but. Um, they did what was expected of them. Yeah, they did, and it was uh, it was comfortable in the end, wasn't it? Uh, obviously, took a one uh, one goal early lead, and then their dominance just prevailed throughout. It didn't really look in any sort of um, threat at any time. It was, I think, when you win three 0 it's always a good result. But it was definitely a bit of a cruise for me. Um, it could have been maybe more, and it was good to see um, Kagawa score, and he scored an excellent goal. I thought. Um, and 
it reminded me a little bit of last season, Manu, when uh, plenty of times Dortmund were on top, had the better possession, had the better run of the play, but just couldn't score. And then if they could score, the floodgates had opened. And it did start to remind me of that a little. Um, but once they got the goal, it was always when they were going to get the second. Although I did have a little think and a little worry for a while that maybe they may concede. And we saw that a couple of times last year. But I think Bosch has ironed out some of those troubles that Tuchel was getting. And I think that's because at times he wasn't playing his best 11 in the shape that we now all know, which fits the team the best, which is a 4-3-3, which, uh, which he's doing a lot of at the moment. And I think it's paying massive dividends as, you know, as a top of the league and high flying. Yeah, and they are high flying. I mean, I'm looking, and John, we unfortunately need to talk about what happened on Saturday night. <laughs> and this, I'm just going to rattle off some of the statistics before we discuss this. So the result, of course, six one. Dortmund's ball possession was seventy nine percent. Total shots eighteen to eight. Shots on target nine to five. Shots off target six to three. Shots inside the box, 13 to 7. Uh, you know, big chances created, mm. 9 to 1. Hit the woodwork, 3 to 0. Um, wow. <laughs> Passes, 917 to 245. Uh, you want me to keep going? <laughs> you, you can end if you'd like. <laughs> it, that is, you know, in this Gladbach are a good side, but is this... Um, how do you explain something like that when you go from the Stuttgart game and you absolutely get thrown under the wheels by mm. a rampant Borussia Dortmund side? Yeah, I, I was disappointed because I think I mean, Dieter Hecking is an, an experienced coach and it seems as though he didn't change his tactics in any way other than by telling the team to drop deeper. Um, and they defended in two banks of four. They dropped their two strikers behind the the center circle and and they seem to think that that would be enough for for everything to be okay um the problem is, is with that sort of approach that you then invite pressure for the whole game it's hardly surprising that the possession stats are up in the 70s that the passing stats are through the roof i for me and i said this in my preview for for football start with the two with the two man midfield of Zachariah and Kramer against a, a central midfield three of it was Weigel, Dahoud and Goethe, you're, you're going to lose that battle every day of the week. And I was suggesting, look, we, why play with two strikers in that sort of game? Drop one of the strikers, bring in another central midfielder. And I mentioned Mikhail Cousins, who they eventually did bring on. And after that point, I think they conceded maybe another goal, maybe two. Uh, but it was a lot more solid when they went with three in the midfield area. So I was a bit disappointed because I felt as though Gladbach, like you say, they had a lot that they could have done to make the game different. They did create a couple of chances. Uh, Torgan Hazard had a couple of decent chances, which had they gone in, it would have changed things. But for me, it was it, it was just badly thought through. And, and as soon as it went wrong, um, it just went very wrong. Yeah. And I, I think this is something that I um, thought... Dortmund's midfield, of course, all the eye was on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who scored three and Maximilian Philipp who scored two. The two were fantastic. Um, Christian Pulisic wasn't great, something that you pointed out as well, uh, Chris. But that midfield, they had essentially three holding midfielders playing, um, you know, because Götze, Weigel, Dahoud are three midfielders who can not only create something but also hold on to the ball and you know um, have very accurate passing statistics and I think that's how you rack up those passes you have three guys who can just pass the ball so well to each other and I thought that was I mean they were like clockwork Borussia Dortmund in midfield with three midfielders like that it that's that's something that's really hard to defend because all of a sudden you have three creative guys you know who can just who can create time and space. And that is, that is makes it really easy for the Phillips and Aubameyangs of this world to create scoring chances. Yeah, it did. And occasionally a team will play um, at their very best. They'll come against a team who are playing properly at their very worst. And I, I think there's a bit of a mixture of that um, on the, over the weekend. I thought Dortmund were exceptional and Gladbach were well off form. Um, and those two... The meeting of those two situations resulted in, you know, a 6-1 demolition. Um, 
But it was that midfield three that stuck out for me. I thought they were excellent. Uh, they're interchangeable at times. Um, and you're quite right, they're so creative. And although they did have the majority possession, 79%, and you mentioned those, um, the passes of accuracy passes was 843 um, compared to um, Gladbach's 168. I mean, that 92% passing accuracy, that that's incredible. Um you know, and one of the statistics sites gave Maximum and Philip a, a 9.9 out of 10, which, um, which is a massive, um, score. Uh, so buy into uh, stats as much as you want on that, but he did have a pretty perfect game. Um, I th- thought he was excellent, but it is, I don't know, maybe worrying is the wrong term, but it's a couple of games now on the bounce where, um, Pulisic's been a little under weather. I know he was given man of the match, um, for the game against HSV, but, he was still mm. under par for me. I don't know if he's getting too much pressure put on his shoulders um, by yeah. by his home audience in America, who all of a sudden have just elevated him to this massive position. Um, there was a piece on ESPN this week about, you know, is he the greatest ever American football, as in soccer player? Uh, you know, he's such a young guy. He doesn't really need this extra pressure to be lumped on him. He's playing in a team where, you know, his um, creativity and his ability to just go and play is allowed. Um, and just let him get on with it. He, I think he's been given too much pressure. I mean, Manu, we chatted um, over WhatsApp, didn't we? Because obviously you're in North America, so you get the Fox Sports feed. And, and they really have built him up the past few mm. weeks into something that maybe he's not yet there we all know he's a fantastic talent um but he's a young guy and he's developing constantly and let's not forget that he probably won't be in his prime for another five to six years so it's mm. a lot of pressure f- to be on his shoulders but don't let that distract from his contribution you know on in the midweek game he was excellent you know, he was a little below par um over the weekend but he still contributed well and it was a really good performance and a fantastic performance to take into Tuesday's game when obviously back-to-back Champions League winners Real Madrid come to town. Yeah, it's just maybe one thing on Pulisic. They, and it adds to what you just said, the, the pressure. And there was recently one of, I can't remember which American side it was, but um, it was one of the big ones, SB Nation, ESPN or Fox. And they tweeted out a picture with Pulisic, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. And uh, the headline said, Pulisic has scored more often before turning 19 than Cristiano Ronaldo and um, Messi did. And that's, you know, that's a comparison that um, he's a fantastic player. He's a really, really good player. And Dortmund, I think one of the reasons why they were able to just sell off Dembele and took that risk is because they knew they had him. But hold off a little, you know, if you if you load them up with this kind of pressure, especially in the US where everything gets hyped so quickly and thrown into the bucket right away, give him give him that time and space. Maybe it's the one good thing about this in Dortmund that he has that he has that protection. Um and, you know, Bosch, I, I wouldn't be surprised if midweek against Real, you know, he will go back to Yamolenko and play him instead just because of the experience and to protect him a little bit from what's going on. Because I think you're right, he looked a little bit overplayed um, in in that game, and um, that's that's just normal, you know. He's very young. Um, but before you, before we go to Real Madrid, um, we had another discussion, didn't we, boys, about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? And John, you're laughing, so I'm going to go to you first. <laughs> Is he an efficient striker? Yes or no? Is he efficient? No, but. That doesn't mean he's a bad striker. And I think the, my comments basically come from a, a position of, I suppose, amusement when it comes to Aubameyang because he scores the goals I expect him not to score and he misses the ones I expect him to score. Um, now, whether or not that's a problem for Dortmund in the league is is one thing. Whether or not it's going to be a problem for them in the Champions League is another thing. And for me, the, the big question is how he's going to perform uh, this season on the, on the biggest stage, uh, the, the European stage. Yeah, I think, and that's just something that we said, right? Uh, there was a couple that he missed, and then there, there one goal against Gladbach that he got that impossible ankle, and I was like, "How did he get that?" Yeah. But that's that's exactly it. And I know, Chris, um, you're not the biggest fan of XG, you know, and uh, I don't <laughs> want to put you too much on the spotlight with that. <laughs> he did score 31 goals last year, and I I don't have the number in my head right now, but I know it was close to 30 years for a striker 
a single striker in a Bundesliga season to get above the 30. Last year we had two, and we're going to talk about Lewandowski in a moment. But, you know, someone who scores 31 goals, um, it's hard. And you're right, we, we, we have spoken many times about the big chances he's missing. But he still gets 31 goals a season. Yeah, he does. And he scores in gluts, doesn't he? So he scored a hat-trick today. Uh, sorry, not today. He scored a hat-trick this weekend, um, which, you know, you can't argue he is a world-class striker. I'll quite happily say that. Um, and I enjoy watching him week in, week out. I think he's a brilliant player. Occasionally, um, he is guilty, especially last season. I know he scored 31 goals, but there was times in games, and I think, take it back to, I think it was the game away at Augsburg, where it was a nil-nil draw, um, and he had three or four good chances and missed them. Um, and occasionally that can build up to be a bit of a problem, um, especially if you want to challenge for the title and you want to um, consistently challenge, you know, Bayern Munich who are um, clinical at times and have been over the past. I know he scored 31 goals last season. My only criticism of him would be realistically, and, and I don't say this flippantly, he could have scored over 40 goals last season um, mm. because it's, it's the positions he gets himself in. He's an exceptionally clever striker and he is always in the right position at the right time. If he could just find the right finish um, all the time, he, he would be one of the best strikers I've ever seen. And I'm not going to complain too much because, you know, he scores consistently and he scores regularly. Um, he, he won the cannon last season and he scored over 30 goals. So you shouldn't be in a position where you can not criticize, but maybe not be as, as pleased as you could be. But, I do think last season he could have hit 40 goals um, quite easily um, had he had a little bit more refinement to his finishing. And that is that sounds like a criticism, but believe me, it's not. Um, he's, he's a fantastic player. I just think he could be even better. Mm, yeah, you know how much... This is something that I've always wondered because it wasn't until... Klopp's uh, until his second season at Dortmund, that Klopp moved him to that center forward position, right? Um, this this old Lewandowski and um, brought it immobile, who didn't work out, and then they moved Aubameyang to the center, and then he started scoring. But you almost wonder if that's some of his that ability to score the impossible ones, and sometimes let the easy ones, um, you know, pass up on the easy ones. I wonder if that's because he's um, you know, played as a striker later on, as an all-and-out forward, that centre-forward position later on in his career. And that's that's something I always wonder about. When you look at his heat map, he does still like to come from that left side quite a lot, right? Um, he is also a lot in that box. But it's just something that I wonder about sometimes when I see him. I say maybe it's because he came to that position a little bit later than you normal strikers. When you look at like someone like... I know Higuain has left some big chances over his career too, but that's a guy who's only in the box. You know, that's where he will always find Lewandowski. Same thing. He was never playing on a, on a different position. You know, maybe drops deep a little bit, but he is an all-in-all striker. And, you know, I just wonder, and that's, that's maybe something that we can discuss a little bit, right? Um, is yeah. it maybe because his positional play? Well, yeah, I mean, Thierry Henry is a, um, a central striker who started um, in a different position. And, you know, I don't think you could argue the same about him, that he probably missed more than he scored. Um, and and that's, that's another flippant comment, because Aubameyang does score a lot. But, um, yeah, maybe he's not as a refined a striker, because he's not an out-and-out striker. Um, so, so, yeah, we... We maybe shouldn't criticise him too much because he's banging goals in left, right and centre. Um, maybe it's just a, a, a statement um, that he could do even better, which is probably quite hard to do when you're scoring 31 goals a season. Yeah. I think what's interesting to note is the fact that last season he scored two penalties and missed two penalties. I think that probably indicates something to, to, do, to do with the fact that he is maybe a little bit off on when it comes to actual finishing where you would expect him to finish. Now, there's any number of reasons why that might be the case. He may, he may have confidence issues. And I suppose if he thinks, you know, I'm less likely to score this, he, he will he will uh, not feel the pressure of it as much. But I, 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 he reminds me a lot of, uh, I said mentioned this on the group chat, but Edison Cavani is a similar player who in certain positions where you, you expect him to score, he seems to miss and he just then scores 
incredible goals that the, the header um, against Celtic last week where, where he just looped it into the far corner in, in just an, in the most incredible way uh, is a classic example the, the question becomes I suppose is it going to be problematic for Dortmund and the, I think where it will become problematic will be is it to have a striker who is going to score all of the nailed on chances or is it better to have a striker who is going to score the chances that you might not expect them to score I suppose that's that's up, up for grabs but if to me it, implicitly inherently it feels a little bit more like you want a striker who's going to just put everything in that is created as a safe chance. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is a good connection now to go to Real Madrid game. And that is the number one thing. Against Real Madrid, they will not have as many chances as they had against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, it'd be massively yeah. surprised. So he will have to score those chances. And, and last year, they did. Um, mm. So last year, of course, they got their two results, uh, the two draws. And that it meant that they won the group ahead of Real Madrid. Uh, but you only going, they're only going to be able to do that if they are efficient. And that's really, you know, one one of the two big questions mark I have with Borussia Dortmund. Uh, if they play like they did against Gladbach, I'm not too worried. Um, ex- up front, but I'm actually really worried about the defense. Uh, mm. That's you know, and Chris, we've discussed. Dortmund's defense, I feel like for ever since we've been on this podcast. Forever. Yeah, and you know, this as great as the Gladbach game was, there was, you know, Gladbach with their 21% ball possession could have scored two or three goals in the first half. Yeah, they could. And I've just written the preview um, for Football Start this evening, um, and I've gone for 3 2 um, to Dortmund, and uh, partly because of um, Real's traveling problems that they've had when they've come over to Germany. Um, I know they've had a little bit of success the last couple of seasons, but historically they haven't been particularly good travellers to Germany. Um, but with Dortmund in the form that they're in, I can easily um, see them scoring a couple of goals. A three might be a bit of a push, but I can also see them um, leaking some goals, especially to a team of Real Madrid's calibre. So if you would put Real Madrid... Um, into uh, the weekend's game and if they played let's just say on a similar sort of level to Gladbach um, then you're quite right that could have been it could have been a six-all draw with a team as as clinical as Real Madrid and as as uh, able as Real Madrid it, we, we could have had an exceptionally high scoring draw game and, and that's the only problem I don't know if Toprak settled completely yet um, obviously I was at Wembley um, for the Tottenham game where Socrates and Piszczek were just turned inside out by um, Son and Kane um, at will. Um, and it was almost every time, you know, Tottenham drove down their left-hand side onto the Dortmund's right-hand side of centre-back and, uh, you know, right um, right back and um, right-sided centre-back, which was Piszczek and Socrates. They looked like they could score at will. Um, and, you know, it could have been a lot more than the, than the score was in the end. So, Dortmund sort of came away from that, um, luckily, I would say. But don't forget, Berkey had a horrendous evening letting in a couple of near-post goals. But mm. it that will worry me. Um, if we look at the side that started against Gladbach, it is Socrates and Piszczek. And I would be surprised if it was to be changed, to be honest, on that right-hand side. Um, just the, the last time out, so match day one in the Champions League, that was an area uh, of major concern for me, along with the um, holding three for that particular game, which didn't really work that well um, until about 10, 12 minutes in. And, and of course, we'd had a couple of goals by then. This is what was so frustrating about the Gladbach game as well, is that it felt as though Gladbach were focusing on Borussia Dortmund's strength, which is their attack. And they'll, they'll get away with this a lot this season, I think, because a lot of teams will think, how on earth are we going to contain them if they're scoring six against Gladbach? And Gladbach are going to be arguably top half of the top half. How on earth are we going to stop them? Whereas, actually, if you look at that defence, it's so weak that you, you... I was just disappointed that Gladbach weren't just trying to pepper that defence over and over again, trying to get... They, Dortmund's line is so high that when you've got um, wingers like Torgan Hazard, when you've got players like Stindl, you you would just expect them to try and find that space in behind the defence over and over and over again. That's what clubs in the Champions League will do. They'll, they've got players to exploit that. They're not going to be as worried about that that forward three. They're just going to go for it, and, and Dortmund could struggle. Yeah, I think that that um, the Weigel, and that's my last point on Dortmund, I think Weigel... And that holding midfield will will help them quite a bit, you know, with that high defensive line because he's just better at hanging on to the ball. He's more of a a contributor. But um, Dortmund are not the only side 
that are playing Champions League midweek. So we want to move on to Dortmund's biggest competitor in the Bundesliga. And it does look like, you know, we have a competitive Bundesliga because Bayern did what many expected they would do. They reacted to a sense of crisis by, um, you know, winning their, their last weekend's game uh, 4-0 against Mainz and then midweek won 3-0 against Schalke. And then, you know, of course, many people were saying, okay, well, here we go. Here's Bayern, you know. Um, they're now angry and they they are going to march away with it again. But, <laughs> big but, and I can't believe um, I'm actually going got to see this in my lifetime. They gave away a 2-0 lead at the Allianz Arena against Wolfsburg. Um, that was maybe for me the biggest surprise of the match day. And those second 45 minutes, if I, I was a Bayern fan, I'd be really worried about those second 45 minutes because they were not only complacent, they were slow, they were lackluster. Um, Ancelotti didn't seem like he had a match plan for the second 45 minutes. He's, of course, thrown his players under the bus since. Statement saying we were too slow, we didn't react, we were too sluggish. Stefan Effenberg with some interesting comments after the game. Thomas Müller said it was a step back. Um, we've been kind of waiting for this to happen, right, Chris? I mean, we've been since we started doing this part, we've kind of seen this coming. And I think it, has it finally arrived? Are Bayern has Bayern's window closed? Well, since we've started this pod, which is um, not far off a year, really. Uh, Bayern have stuttered throughout the whole of that. I know they've uh, won the league again, um, you know, and they got through to the quarterfinal of the Champions League, but it didn't feel like uh, a totally dominant Bayern last season. They were pushed quite um, hard by Leipzig at times. Um, and, you know, I remember saying, and I think I've said it even the, during this season, during the small part of the season that we've done already, is that they can occasionally be a little boring. Um, and that was something that was labelled for them last season. They didn't really have a... And you're quite right, you said there didn't seem to be a match plan for the second half. That was a constant throughout last season for Bayern. They sort of just looked to plod through games and occasionally pick up a very good win, a very high 4 or 5 or 6 nil, And then they would just scrape through for some of the other games. And yeah, this was um, this was a Bayern... Um, problem which has all come together in this game and yeah, I don't think you would um, you would have envisaged them to go 2-0 up and then to leak two goals to, to Wolfsburg uh, you know who have been in awful uh, vein of form hence why they sat their man at the head, sat their hedge coach um, and Martin Schmitz came in and got a sort of response straight away that they were after so Yeah, although it does look like just another problem that Ancelotti's got. I, I said it um, midweek when uh, Neuer was um, diagnosed as going to be out until after January. Mm -hmm. You know, could this be another nail in the coffin for Ancelotti at Bayern? Everything that could be going wrong for him at the moment seems to be going wrong. And losing, you know, their star goalkeeper, who is a very important cog, and we chatted about this last week, man, didn't we? That, you mm -hmm. know, Neuer is so key to the way Bayern plays very high is almost like, you know, an extra center back or, the, or a sweeper when, when they're playing normally and they come back to him and his touch and um, his precision of passing, he's able to smack the ball around easily with will and, you know, drives the attack on from the very back from the, from the very back point. He's a, um, the foremost point of attack and they don't seem to have that if he's not there. Um, and, I, and I do worry for them at the moment. Yeah. What I think was really interesting about this game And the stats backed us up. And it must have been mostly in the second half because Wolfsburg weren't good in the first half. But Wolfsburg were, were leading two statistics. And that was duels won, aerial duels won. And I felt like that Wolfsburg really fought their way back into this match. And, you know, really, they, they, they sprung on the opportunity that Bayern left them to get into this game. And this is, this is, I think, I think other teams going to the Allianz Arena will now say, look, we, we can get something here. You know, if Wolfsburg can do this, we can do it too. We can go to Munich and we can get a result. And even, I mean, I, I've been trying to look this up. I can't find the statistics. So if you listen to this part and you want to give us a shout on Twitter, I, I can't even remember the last time Bayern gave a 2-0 lead away at the Allianz Arena. It, it must have been ages ago. 
So, you know, that's, that is something that if I was a Bayern fan, you know, other teams will, will see an opportunity there now. And it's, this, this is something, I mean, John, uh, you have this, this saying in our WhatsApp chat. You're calling uh, Lewandowski Penaldowski. Um, we need to talk about penalties <laughs> with Bayern because they got a very soft one in the Wolfsburg game and they got a very soft one in Schalke too. And in Schalke, it was the VAR that decided it. And um, again, the ball hit Naldo in the leg and from the leg, it went up to his arm, which is actually by the rule book or the way the referees have uh, explained the handball to all the coaches and players in the Bundesliga. That's an unintentional play. Yet we are decided to give Bayern that penalty. Yeah, I, this is one of my problems with with uh, video refereeing. Is that not that I have a necessarily have a problem with with it, if it works correctly, but it does feel as though that the teams who are going to benefit from VAR are going to be the teams who are more likely to to be winning. Now, there's an argument to be made that if you're a better team, you're more likely to be putting the ball into dangerous positions where people are more likely to handball it. But I do think that there's a latent... Referees have this sort of latent um, understanding of the way that matches should go. So when there's a team who... um, would be more likely to win a match than lose a match getting a, a good chance for a penalty. I think they're probably going to be slightly more likely to give it because it won't affect the overall uh, outcome of the game too much in their heads. And I think VAR is going to exacerbate that. There are going to be bigger teams getting more VAR decisions um, as a result of that. And I think th- this could prove to be uh, problematic. And it would be interesting to see at the end of the of the season, how many, um, how the breakdown of VAR decisions actually goes. Uh, I will be keeping an eye out for that. Chris, do you think that referees almost rely too much on it? That they have given up making the, the crucial decisions themselves and just wait for that call? I think the problem you have with VAR is that referees now um, are maybe more conscious that it's on their minds. So, pre-VAR if a referee said was that's a penalty or it's not a penalty he had the confidence in his ability to go with that decision now if he says it's a penalty or consequently it's not a penalty um as long as the play goes dead he can he can get a little whistle in his ear um that you know maybe I should go to VAR for this so they'll signal for it and then oh lo and behold he has made a mistake so he will give it um, and I don't know if that weighs on their minds if you speak to referees they'll probably say no it's not we're a team and you know it's just as much if I make a mistake the linesman or the assistant will spot it it's just another assistant they've gone from behind the side of the goal to um, to a little room in, in Cologne uh, where they get all the pictures I, I think the problem is and you've mentioned this before Manu is that we don't see all the angles that they see so um, when a decision is given we get one television replay and we, you know we can look at it five six seven eight ten twenty a hundred times and we can go I don't know how they've given that but because we're not allowed to see the third or the fourth angle from what they've made the decision on we'll never know and that's a problem that you encountered in the Confederations Cup as well um, is that it's not as transparent as maybe we can see so we only have the the benefit of seeing it from um, one angle, whereas, as we all know, there's cameras all over the ground these days. And um, the referees, the VAR in Cologne, will get to see four or five different shots. And for some reason, um, we're not allowed to see that. And we saw that uh, in the Super Cup, didn't we, where you know there was a VAR decision for Bayern and... Um, it was. It's not DSF because it's sport. It was sport one, wasn't it? Who weren't allowed to show it was ZDF. Sorry, ZDF. Yes. Yeah, ZDF weren't allowed to show the angle from which the VAR decision was made, which I think is crazy. Yeah, that's that's been my that's been one of my pet peeves with it, and I think they've gotten a little better, and that they didn't show us, um, especially with offsides, the lines that they use. We don't see them right. And um, when I was at the Confederations Cup, the, the, you have to understand the reporters, they get the screen in front of you. You have a screen on your desk in the stadium. And we often weren't shown the actual pictures. So now when you are explaining it, either while you're writing or while you're reporting on the game or commentating on the game, you cannot actually explain to the audience what's just happened because you are not have you don't have the image in front of you. 
And that's that's a transparency issue. But I almost wonder, you know, you, you see the referees as a very good commentary in Kicker about that they have now given up giving referees uh, grades and they always used to grade the referee at the end of a game at Kicker. You know, one the best, six the worst. And they have started, we can't do that anymore because essentially the referee has been taken out of the game because it's it's guys in a van somewhere or in an, an office somewhere in Cologne making the decisions. And that's, I think that's a pretty strong statement. And I think I'm personally for VAR, but um, I think there needs to be a balance between having the referee on the field making the last call. And that's that's something that I think is quite important. I think that's you know that that's something that you mentioned, John, as well. The referee needs to be the one on who makes the call on the field. It can't be the guy in the office in Cologne. Yeah, I think it calls into question the the authority on on in the gate. And this is this is always the problem. If as soon as as soon as the referee ceases to be seen to have the ultimate authority then you, you lose something, I think, in terms of the actual uh, authority on the field. And the and the the referee then just c- kind of feels a little bit like someone who is a bit of a bumbling idiot who runs around, and occasionally someone who knows better than him will, will, will radio in and have a chat with them and say, looking at this screen, what you've done done here is a mistake. And so I don't, I don't think, and I, I think from the side of the audience as well, I don't think it's particularly helpful because I watch... Uh, Bundesliga games now, and I see something where I think, "Oh, that looks like it could be a thing," but it doesn't go to doesn't go to the the uh, the, re- the video assisted referee, and you kind of feel then as though there's a bit of a front to you. Um, you. You feel as though you're not getting your your value for money on VAR, but at the same time, with the with the game, you, you're thinking, "Has he seen this and, and decided not to?" to contact the referee was the referee not seen anything uh, here as well so it, it, like you say the issue is with transparency um, but but there is this underlying authority issue where you kind of think well why do they bother having a human referee on the on the field at all is it is it to make, presumably to make the the game flow flow better but then at the same time you have this authority issue where you're asking the question this referee doesn't seem to know what he's doing why is it that we we even bother at all yeah, I think that's that is something that that echoes with me, one hundred percent. So I, I guess that is really a balance that they have to find, and and it's a discussion that's ongoing. And this is, you know, we're one season in, so I think you should give it at least a season um, and see how it goes. But um, speaking about fixing fixing things, um, Martin Schmidt, uh, not a great start for him with Wolfsburg, um, but you know. But two-two draw now at Bayern, and it's it's, ex- and it's an expensive side that they have in Wolfsburg. Chris, real quick, do you think he's the right man to fix his to fix the uh, the Volkswagen Club? Is he? <laughs> Funny enough, he is a mechanic by um, that's his <laughs> <Yeah>. job. <But laughs> Brilliant, can he love it. Fix the Volkswagen. <laughs> Greatest pun of the evening. Um, I don't know. We we know why Mainz let him go uh, last season was because he dragged them too close to relegation. So uh, I, I'm unsure. There's, there's times uh, during the season, last season with Mainz where you know I thought that he got a team which um, wasn't the best to, to perform admirably. Uh, he has now got the chance to work with some really good names. Um, you know, if you just look at the midfield three and then the centre forward, um, you know, Divock Origi, who I know very well, um, from, from a Liverpool, um, perspective, don't know him personally, should um, probably quantify that. Uh, you know, he has got some talents to work with now. Um, so will he be able to bring his coaching ability forward? I don't know. Maybe I'll reserve judgment on him for, for a few match days, but, he certainly got the response that he needed and, and would have desired at half time in the Alliance. So from that 45 minutes, he sort of got the reaction that we would expect to see, you know, is it, is it a new manager bounce? How long will they have it for? Um, you know, are they going to come across teams, um, who aren't as, um, who aren't as good as Bayern Munich? And will they be able to exploit that? Because, you know, they've had a good, They've had a good second half. I, I thought the midweek game, um, you know, was a reasonable start. Um, although, you know, the attendance was pretty poor, wasn't it, by a Bundesliga standard? Um, it looked half empty at one point. Um, so that must be a worry um, 
you know, for everyone at Wolfsburg, especially for Volkswagen, because I was there for their relegation first leg playoff last season. So, you know, they probably don't want to find themselves in that area again. So for me, it's a bit of a strange appointment, but you know what you're getting with him. He knows the league very well. He knows all the clubs he's going to play very well. Uh, I didn't think that Hecking would be a particularly good uh, managerial sign-in for Gladbach and was proven wrong on that. So um, I'll probably reserve judgment for a bit, Manu. Yeah, that's, I think that's a fair shout. Um, of course, I um, want to move over to our next Champions League side, but real quick, I, I did write the, the preview on, on Bayern and uh, based on what I've seen in this game in particular, I, I really worry about Bayern. And, um, you know, I think that that game uh, on on Wednesday, Bayern-PSG, will be an interesting one to watch because I think things could come to an early boil there. So we'll, we'll cover that maybe next week. Um, but Leipzig, they are a side that for the first time ever really have to deal with this weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, all, like really constantly. And I think the only one who's taken that in strides is Timo Werner, who's been very consistent this season. And the rest of the team, eh, not so much, right? I mean, that's... I thought the, the game against Frankfurt, that was the game I watched on Saturday. Um, I thought they were very good uh, at times. Timo Werner was excellent, but they also, you know, you, you can sense that it isn't quite as easy for them as it was last year. And I mean, John, you you follow Leipzig a bit as well. Um, it seems like that that is something that they just have to get used to a little bit, especially with the way they're playing. Yeah, I, my big worry with, with Leipzig is whether or not they have squad depth, which I think I, I, I'm a little bit bemused as to why we haven't brought this up before because obviously we knew they were going to have this um, schedule that was going to be ram-packed and it seems to me what's happened is with with Naby Keita picking up an injury early on and then getting a fairly long um, ban in the in the Bundesliga they've they've struggled without him and um, they haven't really had the sort of personnel that you would want them to have in the central midfield areas in particular, to, to really kick on so far. Uh, Il Sanko, I don't think, is anywhere near as, as good a replacement as, as Cater. And yet he's having to he's been had to fill into those in that gap uh, a few times now. Augustan, I think, has been good up front. But again, you, you, you kind of think if they lose a couple of players here and there in important positions, who do they bring in? Uh, and and as soon as you have something like a a run of tight fixtures it, it, over the course of a couple of weeks, then it can all come crumbling down for you. And it seems as though that's what happened to them in, in their last Champions League fixture. Yeah, that's and then they're playing Besiktas now midweek. The the result against Frankfurt, I think, for me personally, is an indication that they're slightly back on track. They're now sixth, you know, sixth after six games uh, with ten points two points behind for three points behind Bayern. So, you know, they're not really that far off the pace um, considering it just seems a little, little bit more sluggish um, than last year. And I think that is probably down to the Champions League. But you are quite right identifying that with Navy Cater. Um, they think, and you know with the way Navy Cater plays, that he is a little bit injury prone, but he's also a guy who's always a little bit on that edge because of the, you know, getting a booking, getting several bookings this season, or going off, you know, with, with a red card because he does work a little bit above that limit. And, um, I, I, I agree with you. They will have to find, and they will have to find that solution eventually because he's going to Liverpool next season, right? And they, they will have to find someone. So that's for me an interesting one. And the one thing that I really like, I know I say this every week almost, Timo Werner, he keeps on scoring. He has now scored 16 goals in the last 17 games. Now that's a scoring rate for a 21 year old striker. And, um, that's efficiency as well. But Chris, I want to go over to the next team. And this has been something that's, I find really impressive. And we were, we were worrying a little bit about Hoffenheim and how they are going to deal with that English week, you know, same as Leipzig. Turns out they're dealing with it really well. They're second. They're, they're sandwiched between Dortmund and Bayern. And they, it looks like they're doing exactly what they're doing last year. They're like a little hamster picking up points <laughs> here and there without ever losing. Yeah, and they have, um, they've gone above my expectation with them. And 
I still think that going out the Champions League um, is the best thing that will have happened for them this season and to go into that Europa League. And they've not had you know, the best of starts, but let's remember that they've not had that much experience. Uh, I think the pressure is off in that competition for them. It's a go out and have a good time. Whereas had they got through to Champions League group stages, I think they would have had a lot more pressure on their shoulders. And consequently, that's allowing them to play with the freedom uh, in the Bundesliga that we saw them play with last season. Um, I thought they had a fantastic win um, at Mainz. You know, sometimes there's nothing better than a really late win. Um, it, it really um, forges the, you know, the team cohesion and when you score a goal in added time um, to win a match, I, I always think that's a really good um, springboard to carry on. And they did that over the, on the weekend's game as well. And yeah, they were... Um, they were good. I was there for match day one and they weren't that particularly good, but I think we can forgive them on that because it was the first match day. So they've settled well after that, I, I thought. Um, bar the um, display at Anfield, I think they have been an, a constant again. And I'm excited to see them break into this top four and I hope that they can stay in there because I do believe that a, a good crack at the Bundesliga, maybe not the title, but a good crack to be in that race and to be there or thereabouts, you know, maybe till um, March or April would be good for them and would stand them in good stead for next season. I think they're a project still and the, the project's looking very good if they can keep hold of Nagelsmann. I think that's the big question as we look to the future because I think in two or three seasons, Hoffenheim could be good challengers um, to the likes of Bayern and Dortmund um, and be knocking on the door to either upstage one of them for second or you know maybe even get that elusive title that you know they've been after. Um, it's just whether they can keep hold of Nagelsmann because I think he's the key to everything about them he's the key to the way they play he's the key to the way they um, just randomly come out with different tactics we've talked at great length mm. about the brilliant innovative coach that he's brought and the innovative ways of coaching he's brought to the club and I think this is I think everything around Hoffenheim is to do with Julian Nagelsmann and if Julian Nagelsmann was to leave I think there would be a massive void that maybe Hoffenheim couldn't fill. Yeah, I would go along with that. The latest I've heard from Munich, and that's, of course, the club that plays a little bit of a bigger role in his dreams. That's an actual quote. Um, they are monitoring him, but they feel that he needs a good, you know, a long time to mature to that level. Remember, he's only 30. He's younger than, I believe, anyone on this part. Um, so that's astonishing. But they feel that he needs a bit more time. The, the word that I've heard from Munich is that Thomas Tuchel will be, um, if something goes wrong with Ancelotti, that will be the guy that they want to bring in. Um, mainly because that's what Pep Guardiola actually told him to bring in for him. And I think, I still think maybe that would have been a better choice. So that's what I'm hearing from Munich. I, I find that very interesting. But I also find very interesting what, what Nagelsmann has been doing and, you're saying the tactics and I look at different homepages for different formations and they're all, they're all translating on what he has put on the pitch in different ways. Um, one of them even has Andre Kamaric playing in a four in a midfield uh, behind Gnabry and Ut and then Geiger, almost like a libero. Geiger has been that revelation for them, hasn't he, um, John? You know, a guy we, we won, we're wondering who's going to replace um, who's going to play Sebastian Rudy? And it turns out it's Dennis Geiger is is that guy. He has been phenomenal. Yeah, he's been he's been good. And uh, like you said, with, with um, losing Guy uh, Sula and Rudy, there was always the option that that Hoffenheim could really struggle this season. But it's, it seems to be part of Nagelsmann's project to to develop a team where he 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 is building where he's bringing in players who know what they're doing they know where they fit they know what's expected of them uh, and and so it doesn't matter so much if you lose a couple of players you you have the resources and the the players there to to bring in and replace them so actually interesting comparison there, there to what we just said about RB Leipzig about uh, worrying about RB Leipzig squad depth you don't really seem to have the same the same worry with respect to 
Hoffenheim's uh, squad depth. You, you can you can take out Sandro Wagner, who was so instrumental to the last season, and bring in Marut, who uh, obviously flourished under Nagelsmann when he when he when he when Nagelsmann first took over at the club. And it, it feels as though there's so many there's so many areas like that where where you don't worry about Hoffenheim losing a player because you know exactly because they are so tactically um, changeable. You know that the players will be able to uh, sub in cover for, for, for Nagelsmann where he needs them. So I've been really impressed with them. And coming back to their, their recent form, what's, what's, I think for me, the rudest sign of their health at the moment is, is the fact that they're fourth on the list of goals scored in the Bundesliga and also fourth in the list of goals conceded, lowest goals conceded. So it seems that in both areas, he's got them performing to a, to a decent level and not conceding too many and they are scoring a lot of goals. And I think that's, that's the formula that you need to do well. Uh, if you can be fourth on both of those lists, then you're likely to finish in the top four in the table. Yeah, and of course, top four this year is uh, more valuable than ever before because Champions League reform means top four is an automatic Champions League spot. They wouldn't have to worry about facing someone like Liverpool in the playoffs next year. They would be straight into the group stage. If you finish top four, and with you know, with the way they they they're getting the results, they would. And I I think you you're pointing out something very important here, and that's that's they they only German side, and I include Bayern and Dortmund this, who have squad depth on every position, and that's strike even strikers. They have three or four strikers that they can just interchange. And that's something that, you know, I wrote an article about that last year and during the early Champions League Europa League exit of all the German teams is that German teams have lack of depth up front. There's very few, very few strikers in the top teams and Hoffenheim are the exception because they have Kamaric, they have Uth, they have Wagner, they have Gnabry, you know, and then they have two or three guys from the youth academy that they can throw in there. And that's, that is remarkable. Nagelsmann is not worried about, you know, throwing in someone in the deep end and just saying, like, here you go. So, you know, that's something that makes me quite positive. They had a poor start to the Europa League, but they are um, away in Ludogorets. I'm pretty sure they're going to get the three points there and uh, rectify um, the, the slip on match day one. So that's, of course, a game that we're also going to have for the preview for on Fußballstadt.com. Um, real quick, Hertha against Ostersunds. Um, yeah, Hertha has been maybe one of the more boring sides in the Bundesliga. So I don't want to spend too much time on them, but that's, they will have to get a result at Ostersunds. Um, a team that has us all a little bit worried, Chris, is Cologne. And they were playing against the feel good story of the Bundesliga, early Bundesliga season, which is Hannover. Um, they got a 0-0 draw, which is a point, but where Cologne are, as much as this is a success for Hannover, it's still a disappointment for Cologne, right? Because that point will not be enough. Yeah, and we're now on, um, you know, we're now just finished match day six and they have got one point. Uh, we're starting to get to that point of the season where, you know, we're starting to look at a considerable amount gone and the gap is starting to become evident. If you look at the gap to 15th, which is the clear of any relegation worry, it's five points at the moment. I don't know where Cologne are going to get five points on the bounce from, where everybody else is going to lose at the moment. And this is a big worry because before they know it, we could be on match day 10 or match day 12, and there could be a considerable gap. And as we found out last season, Manu, the way the, the, the league panned out, is that you could be in ninth and still be dragged down into a relegation fight. So they need to be able to get themselves up to somewhere like ninth or tenth and give themselves a fighting chance. Now, at the moment, um, they're going to have to go on a three-game winning streak while all the teams around them lose. It's a hard ask, and... For them to get that one point today, okay, maybe it will um, give some breeding and some confidence to them um, that they've got a point on match day six. But, you know, I do fear for them now because they're in this, um, they themselves have got this English week, week in, week out, and they're in the Europa League, so they're going to be playing uh, in obscure times. Most of their matches are going to come on a Sunday because they're going to play Sunday, Thursday. And Sunday's not an ideal day to play when you're trying to play catch-up because you're looking at everybody else playing before you and then the pressure's on you even more. Uh, and then, we, you know, we look next week 
Um, they are um, again playing on Sunday. It's the last game of the weekend. It's a live televised fixture, so that brings the um, sky cameras down and, and the sky outside broadcast, and it brings all the pressure that comes with that. And they're hosting RB Leipzig. And if they're not mm-hmm. to pick up any points there, which at the moment, if you look at the way um, Leipzig are playing and, the, and who they've got, um, the likes of Werner, who we discussed at great length, I would fear that he'd have a field day against Cologne at the moment. And all of a sudden, then we're into match day eight. And are they still at rock bottom with one point? And then the pressure comes on Stoger. And how long is he going to be able to last in with that pressure on him? And I thought that Cologne, after last season, would fly in both Europe and um, the Bundesliga. And I thought they would probably be round about the seventh or the eighth mark. Um, come the season end at the moment I really fear for them that they could be locked into a relegation battle now in what is September I think it's yeah. important as well to notice that their, their goal difference is minus 12 then mm. the closest to that is minus seven they're five point they're five goals off on goal difference at the moment and that just means that you add an, a, an extra a minus point to your your points total because even if they manage to get level points with someone else it's unlikely that they're going to overtake them on goal difference so they've, they've just made it so hard for themselves in that regard as well yeah, they dug a deep hole for themselves. I would totally go along with that. And of course, John, you know how that feels because Gladbach have done something very similar. And Schalke did the same thing last season, you know, start the season with um, five defeats straight up. And it doesn't get easier. You know, they, they are hosting Red Star Belgrade on Thursday. Um, resurgent Serbian side, historic Serbian side. Um, and they... That, going from that game then to the Sunday fixture against RB Leipzig. And of course, Leipzig are midweek in Istanbul, so a bit of travel. Uh, that's maybe the only positive out of that. But I, I am worried about Köln. I think this season will be relegation battle for them. Um, there's no doubt about it. And that's, that's, that's hard given, you know, the high that they were in last year. On the opposite spectrum, we have Hannover. Fourth. Um, Chowner with another clean sheet. Wow, I, I did not see that coming. Uh, I, I thought maybe Stuttgart could pull this off, but Hannover, I, I think this is, and we discussed this already a little bit last week, but what a start for them. Uh, this is, this is maybe the surprise. And this, this could, this brings us to the final topic. We are now six games in. I know it's really early to, to talk about the top four and all that. And, We've seen quite a few games now. We can see some early indication. John, I go to you first. Based on what you've seen, six games in, we have a top four right now. Who do you think is going to be in that top four at the end of the season and why? Do you want me to give you an order? I think if you just name the top four, that's fine. I'm going to say I think Dortmund will easily be there. I think they'll finish top. Um, I'm saying that now, partly because I feel as though they might actually not make it through the group stages of the Champions League. And if that is the case, they're going to absolutely fly the league. Um, The question of second for me is between Hoffenheim and Bayern Munich. That will depend on whether or not Bayern can sort themselves out with enough time and whether or not Hoffenheim can keep chipping away, uh, like you said, at at the league and whether or not they continue very far in the Europa League. Um, And then when it comes to the elusive fourth spot, it's hard to see Hanover staying in that position for the rest of the season. And the the big question then becomes who's going to fit in there. Um, The main candidates for me are going to be RB Leipzig. Um, Whether or not they can sort out their their season, get a little bit of momentum going like they had last season and maybe pull, pull their way up towards the top four. Schalke have looked okay, although for me they probably are conceding a few too many at the moment. So I wonder whether or not that will uh, will will work out for them. And then I hate to I hate, I hate to join Manu on the uh, Bayer Leverkusen train, but they've been scoring a lot of goals, and if they can sort out their defensive problems, then then they maybe will climb up the table. So that's I'm going to go for Dortmund yes. top, <laughs> Dortmund top, Hoffenheim and Munich fighting out over the second and third places, and then uh, one of those three Leipzig, Schalke, or um, Leverkusen. Yeah, I'm going to give my opinion last, but Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think 
Uh, I'm with John. Uh, Dortmund uh, look like uh, early title contenders, so I'll, I'll go with that. Um, and then Hoffenheim and Munich fighting and Bayern fighting it out for second and third. And and I think um, from a personal point, I think RB Leipzig don't have the squad depth. And I think when we get to um, November, December time, just before the Champions League goes into a break, the fixtures, uh, fixtures come thick and fast and you throw in the Pokal in there as well. I think they will just dip off slightly um, and then probably won't have enough to regain it when the fixtures come thick and fast again, um, run about the February, March stage. So I'll discount RB Leipzig. And um, apart from that, uh, I'm in full agreement. It's going to be somewhere between Schalke and, um, yeah, unfortunately, Manu, it looks like it could be right because Leverkusen is steaming up the table. Um, so it will be a close fight for fourth between by Leverkusen and Schalke, I think. Yeah, I I think I'm actually in pretty close agreement with you guys. Uh, I, I think Bayern and Dortmund are probably going to fight over the title. And uh, I think Dortmund will edge it this year. I, I, I just have an odd feeling. I'm don't, I don't agree with you, John. I think it doesn't matter if Dortmund stay in the Champions League or not. I think they will stay in the Champions League, but I don't think it really matters. I think they still have enough to win it. Uh, Bayern just the, the window is closing for me and Hoffenheim I think Hoffenheim are going to finish third because they're just going to po- consistently get their points and I watched the Leverkusen game today and boy their forward line is looking good um, and they don't have to worry about any midweek games ever so they can when Leipzig and um, when Leipzig and all these other teams that they're midweek, if they get used to like playing there, they can just rest. And then Alario, the Argentine striker, he scored today. Folland had two goals again, I think today. So he's getting going. They're looking good. Bailey looked really good too. I think it's, it's coming and I think they will finish at least fourth. Um, I know as a title challenge, that was maybe a bit much, but they will get their Champions League spot. They will be back in the Champions League next year. So yeah, that's that's my um, that's my top four. So I think we're pretty much all in agreement, more or less. Um, I'm curious to see how it pans out over the next few weeks. I think, Chris, you always say around match day ten, that's the magic number, right? That's when we get to really see. Yeah, who's try where. and avoid the league table for a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, match day ten, I think everyone will settle down and we'll have a real good indication. But at the moment, the the top three um, look pretty cemented into those um, positions it's just who's going to join them in that elusive fourth slot yeah well interesting one to to uh, follow for sure i think that's pretty much it guys we're sadly out of time but um john what are you up to this week what's going on um i know you're doing some previews for fußball start and football grad and you are in manchester for the schachter game that's right. I'm really excited to get accreditation for the, the Manchester City Shakhtar Donetsk game on Tuesday. So I'll be heading up there. Uh, I'm nominally, obviously, I'm covering Shakhtar for, 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 sports, uh, for football grad. But the way that Manchester City are playing at the moment, I'm quite excited about that too. So I get to see them in their pomp. Um, yeah, and then a few couple of previews. So I'm doing the preview for the, for the Manchester City game against Shakhtar and then I'm doing the RB Leipzig uh, preview against Besiktas so that's what I'm doing this week yeah those those uh, Tuesday for the Tuesday games they will be up by the time the pot is out and Chris you're pretty much doing the same thing right now right you're covering the Dortmund game I believe um, so yep, that's pretty that's, do- the that's same done you. that's that's done boss as we speak yeah nice so anything else going on this week and know you're moving to London uh, yeah, so, well, just outside London. So, um, yes, I am moving. I, uh, I'm going back to school at the ripe old age of 39. I start a um, broadcast journalism and creative media course on uh, Monday purely to help me get a better job, Manu, because, you know, you sometimes need to uh, increase your portfolio. So, yeah, I'll be doing that. So um, I am moving tomorrow. So that is my big lookout for this week, which unfortunately now puts us on the doorstep of um, Tottenham Hotspur, Chelsea and Arsenal for all the European games oh that's really horrible <laughs> well I'm looking forward to all that coverage coming our way um, yeah it's the same for me previews uh, basically all this week previous 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 um, Tuesday games will be up by the time the pod is out uh, all the Wednesday games will be out on Monday Europa League games will be out on Tuesday 
So yeah, stay tuned on that. All of that can be found at Football Grad Live on our Twitter feed. We are also on Facebook, uh, Football Grad, our Facebook account, and we are on Instagram as well, um, and Football Grad. And also we for, for these podcasts, we are on iTunes. So if you're listening to us on Acast or you found us on the homepage, we're also on iTunes. And we really do appreciate if you leave us a review. Tell us what we do right. Tell us what we do wrong. Criticism, tips, hints, questions. Please uh, give us a review. They're always welcome. They help us to get better. They help us to grow. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag. Und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.